Beloved, our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark. We are in the 16th chapter. We'll read from the 1st through the 8th verse. Before we go to God in scripture, let us go to God in prayer. Good and gracious spirit, fall afresh on us. Fall afresh on us in these moments and quiet any voice within us but your own, that we might hear your word for us this day, and that in hearing we might respond. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, there you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this day marks for us the conclusion, in a way, of our journey through the Lenten wilderness. But of course, it marks so much more. For Idlewild Church, as we have navigated Lent together, we have navigated the wilderness together. This movement from bondage to liberation. This movement that takes place in the midst of deep time where we are called to ponder our deepest, truest identity. Where we are called to trust that God will provide. This wilderness where we are cognizant that the wilderness is not our final destination. That has been our Lenten journey together. And this day, in a way, gives us a chance to stand on this side of the wilderness and to peer back a bit, but also forward. If we wander long enough in the wilderness, we begin to recognize a divine pattern at play in our wandering. We notice that we all must navigate wilderness in one way or another. And then we come to this solemn, grievous, quiet morning. And we ask the question that every wilderness wanderer asks when it feels like the end of the journey, who is left? Who is still here with me? As I have navigated this wilderness, who has stayed by my side? The Gospel of Mark reveals that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they are left. Figuring out who is left 
helps us to know who Easter is for. Easter, then, is for uh, the brokenhearted who show up in their grief. Easter is for those who trust that there is something to do even when everything seems lost. Easter is for those that the world would label foolish, those willing to bless and care for that which seems dead. Easter isn't for those who have it figured out, who come knowing what they will encounter at the tomb. Instead, it is for those who continue to ask questions in the darkness or just after the dawn, like, who will roll away the stone for us? The gospel writer tells us that early in the morning, just after the sun had risen, the women made the way to the tomb. But what I like to imagine is that they rose early. And that they gathered those spices and they took a few extra minutes across the table from each other as they drank their morning coffee. They looked into each other's eyes and they pondered everything that they had experienced together in that wilderness. And then they began to make their way to the place where they knew Jesus' body was put to rest. And when they arrive, they do not find things the way that they expect them to be. The stone has been rolled away. They questioned on the way there, and when they get there, their question is answered. And with curiosity, they explore the darkness of the tomb. There they find a messenger who tells them this amazing tale and then instructs them to share the news. The gospel writer lets us know that the response of the women is terror and amazement. What a phrase. I love it because it captures the truth of resurrection, of new life breaking forth from a place that knows death, terror, and amazement. Resurrection, beloved, is terrifying, and it is amazing. As we ponder resurrection this day, we must imagine all the dimensions of the terror and amazement that those women felt on that morning. If you don't believe me that resurrection is both terrifying and amazing, then ask ask the one who has just entered recovery. Ask the one who's going to weekly meetings, taking it day by day, about the terrifying and amazing dimensions of resurrection. Ask the newly single parent about the terrifying and amazing aspects of resurrection. Ask the high school freshman or ask the one who just took a new job. Ask the patient who is starting exploratory treatment. Ask the one who just moved back home. Ask the couple in marriage counseling. Ask the one who just entered hospice. Resurrection brings with it terror and amazement. The prospect of resurrection, then, is at once terrifying and amazing. And beloved, on this side of the wilderness, it becomes clear that resurrection for us, then, is not just a one-time event, which we celebrate with pastels and flowered crosses. Indeed, resurrection is the divine pattern of all creation. It is the way in which the world is constructed. Life, death, resurrection. It is made known in the flowers and in the trees and in each and every single one of us. It's made known in all of creation. Living, 
and then dying, and then rising. Repeat. As people of faith, we claim that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us and, it de- and indeed is at work within us. Resurrection, therefore, is not a one-time anomaly in the person of Jesus the Christ. It is the ongoing universal pattern of creation, living, dying, and rising. It is the pattern for you. It is the pattern for me. It is the pattern for our world. It is indeed the pattern for the church. It is the very heart rhythm of all creation in all its terrible amazingness resurrection is happening and I'm not sure I've heard a story which captures the truth of the terror and amazement of this day more so than a story that one of my favorite professors loves to tell and indeed the story might be familiar to some of you as it was invoked in an important moment in the life of Idlewild Presbyterian Church Elsa was a mother of a strong 17-year-old named Daniel in San Antonio, Texas. Daniel was coming home after school and football practice and work one day. Elsa was in bed when she was awoken by a phone call late in the night. It's the kind of phone call that no parent ever wants to receive. It came from a state trooper. The state trooper asked her if her son's name was Daniel, and she groggily said yes. He said, well, then you need to come to the hospital right away, and you need to bring somebody with you. So she called her sister across town, and her sister came and picked her up, and they hurried to the hospital, and they found there her beautiful son, Daniel, handsome, 17. Likely, Daniel had fallen asleep as he was driving home after a long day of school and then practice and then work, and he he took a corner too quickly, lost control of his car, And it came to rest at the base of the tree that it had wrapped itself around. While his body was remarkably intact, there was no brain activity. Elsa's priest eventually arrived. She was distraught looking at her son appearing to be asleep, but it was obvious that he had incurred major trauma. So the physician came in and said, this is what we're looking at. You don't have to rush, but we're not seeing any activity. So they waited a day and a half, and they prayed. The whole congregation prayed fervently, but no change. Elsa became accustomed to the reality that her Daniel was not coming back. In fact, he had had already gone. She was talking to the physician about what to do next, removing respirators and things that were keeping his body alive. And then the doctor mentioned to her, "Um, I do want to ask you, Elsa, I'm sorry to do this now, but but did you and Daniel ever talk about organ donation? He's a strong young man. And she, in that moment, remembered three years ago when they were watching a news story that talked about this person that was able to give parts of their body to, in their dying, to others. And the news story talked about all of these people who had benefited. She remembered that Daniel, her son, turned to her and said, Mom, that is so cool. I want to do that. And so, so to the doctor's question, Elsa replied, you know, Daniel said he'd like to do that. So she learned more about what that process would involve, signed a whole bunch of paperwork, and then they took Daniel's body away.
It was about a year later when Elsa got this nagging feeling that she needed to try to contact anyone who might have benefited in some miraculous way from Daniel's dying. So she called the hospital and she got the social worker and the social worker said, Elsa, I'm sorry, I cannot release that information to you, but what I can do is I can contact each of the people who benefited from Daniel's body. And if they say it's okay, I can put them in touch with you. But you have to understand, Elsa, they might not want to talk to you. She said, I know, but I would just be so grateful. Every person who received a part of Daniel's body replied to the social worker quickly that it would be a great honor and need a delight to meet her. So she assembled a photo album and she took football and baseball jerseys and several of the folks that she visited. They were around the San Antonio area, so she began to visit those families. She would take with her that photo album and those jerseys. She wanted them to know who her son was. She wanted them to know that he had hoped one day to go to college, that he was an honor roll student. She wanted them to know, above all, that he was gracious and that he was kind. The person who received Daniel's heart lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He was the last on the list of people that she needed to contact. He was also the furthest away, but she contacted him, and he said, Ma'am, it would be an honor to meet you. Please let me send you a ticket. She said, no, no, I'll pay my way, and he insisted. And so he flew her to Albuquerque from San Antonio, and at the airport she saw this handsome young man greet her. Three years earlier, he had contracted a bacterial infection that had eaten away at his heart. He had been on a list for a transplant for eight months. He had three little children. His wife was there at the airport. They took Elsa home to their home. They put her in their home and spent two days together there. Elsa showed them the photo album and the jerseys. She told them about Daniel, how he was vibrant and alive and kind. They were getting ready to leave. Elsa was getting ready to board the plane back to San Antonio. In the midst of the airport, Elsa turned to this, this man. She said, I'm I'm sorry. But I wonder if I could ask one favor of you before I go. I've wanted to ask you this the entire time I've been here, but I know it's a lot, so you can say no if you want to. The young man said, Elsa, anything, what? She said, I wonder if you would let me just once more put my ear to your chest that I might listen for the heartbeat of my son. I just wonder if I could do that before I get on the plane. So the young man stood there beaming, and he opened his arms wide. And Elsa went to him, and he embraced her, and she laid her head against his chest. She took a couple deep breaths, and all she could muster was, Oh, my. Oh, my. It is so strong. The heartbeat is so strong. Terrible and amazing. It is resurrection. If you wander long enough, you begin to sense the divine pattern of all of creation. Living, dying, 
and rising. Life, death, and resurrection. And as we stand on this Easter day, peering back towards the wilderness and peering ahead, perhaps to to more wilderness that is to come, we are reminded that God is in the midst of that wilderness, indeed authoring that divine pattern, walking alongside us for 131 years. The divine pattern of God has been at work in Idlewild Presbyterian Church. Through many wilderness times, there has been living, there has been dying, there has been rising. So if you have come to the tomb this day full of questions, then you need to know that this day is for you. If you leave this place in terror and amazement, know that you are not alone. The truth is that as we stand on this side of the wilderness, we must know for ourselves, for our church, and for the world that God is at work in the power of this day. What I imagine, what I pray, what I hope is that when the God of all the universe, when the God of all the universe comes to you, comes to your family, comes to our church and says, I I wonder if I might ask one favor of you. I wonder if I might put my ear to you that I might yet once again listen for the heartbeat of my son. What I know, beloved, is that when God does that to you, when God does that to Idlewild Presbyterian Church, what I hope and what I pray that there will be deep breaths and then there will be an oh my oh my a heartbeat of my son in this place is so strong this morning we rise early we make our way to this holy place and we breathe in the very breath of new life in all its terror and amazement. And then we go into the world to labor in love and through love in the name of the risen one. And so this day, no matter what wilderness you have trod that has brought you here, no matter what world you walk in back into as you leave this place, beloved, know that Christ goes before you. That indeed, Christ is authoring that divine pattern within you and around you, living and dying, and then rising. May you know it to be true in your life. May we know it to be true in our church. May we sense it and know it to be true in the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, having heard God's word read 
and proclaimed, please now rise in body or in spirit, and we will affirm what it is we believe together, using the words from a declaration of faith. In the death of Jesus Christ, God's way in the world seemed finally defeated, but death was no match for God. The resurrection of Jesus was God's victory over death. In his resurrection is the promise of ours. Jesus is Lord. He has been Lord from the beginning. He will be Lord at the end. Even now, he is Lord. Please be seated. This day, friends, we join our hearts and minds in prayer. I invite you on this Easter Sunday, when you hear God of resurrection, respond with hear our prayer. God of resurrection, hear our prayer. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, on this Easter morning, we come before you in awe of your power at work in the world and in and through Jesus the Christ. So God of resurrection, hear our prayer. We come before you this day praying for your church throughout the world, that as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we might be renewed in our faith, that our witness might be strengthened in Jesus' name. God of resurrection, hear our prayer. We come before you with prayers for leaders, for those who govern, for those who teach, that they might be wise in leadership, that they might be humble in service and fearless in the face of evil. God of resurrection, hear our prayer. We pray for all of creation and for this planet that you have entrusted to our care, that each of us and that the whole world might be good stewards of its resources, that we might share in its abundance. God of resurrection, Hear our prayer for the poor and the stranger, that they might receive a place of refuge and hope and hospitality. God of resurrection, hear our prayer for the sick and those in distress, that they might find healing for their pain and be restored to fullness of life. Particularly this day, we raise to you Lynn Jones, Linnell Simmons, Jeanette Coates, Norman Timberman, Melanie Harris, Carl Awesome, Ray Armstrong, Terry Bishop, Beatty Burr, Harriet Coleman, Becky, Thomas, Lauren, and Andrew Hobson, Bill Long, Jane Sanderson, Azalee Stone, Ray Ward, Harry Welford, Jesse Yarborough. For each in grief and in trial. We pray your comfort and your peace and your healing. God of resurrection, hear our prayer. For our neighbors here in Midtown and across this city in which you have planted this church, O oh God, that we might be agents of your reconcili reconciliation and peace, that we might proclaim your justice, your hope, and your joy for the world. 
God of resurrection, hear our prayer. We pray, especially this day, for our enemies, for those who we would oppose. We pray that we might know what it means to love, that we might be agents of reconciliation in the name of the risen one, God of resurrection, hear our prayer. Almighty God, receive these prayers of ours that we offer, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, use us for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is in Christ's name that we pray, and all God's people say together, amen.